There's a little free promo for Delta, but <laughs> that, uh, for some of us, that's probably the first time that we've uh, heard the little spiel all the way through, isn't it? I mean, you know, oh, I've heard, I've heard parts of that before, yeah, because you're trying to get the kids and the carry-ons and uh, run to the restroom before the plane starts, but, you know, uh, it seems kind of dumb and it seems kind of like wasted air when you're going on a plane flight and they go through that whole thing, but there is a reason they do it, isn't there? I mean, you are going to be like six to eight miles up in the sky, and you are going to be going maybe over 500, 600, 700 miles an hour. There are some things we need to cover together before we go on this journey. wonder why we don't get one of those when we start life. Wouldn't it be nice if somebody sat you down right in the delivery room and said, okay, all right, let's just talk it through here. Here's what's going to happen. You need to be ready. But unfortunately, it's more like that uh, bad swimming instructor who takes you out to the deep end and just kind of throws you in and says, okay, just start swimming, hope you make it. You know, uh, it's not exactly like that. God didn't plan for it to be like we were just going to go off into the deep end and somebody throw us there and hope you make it. In fact, that's part of his wisdom in designing families. God gave us parents, and actually parents, I would encourage you to have a mindset of, uh, not so much what many times we think of parents as is, uh, you know, we're just, uh, we're, we've got these young people and we're trying to just barely get through life and one day we'll have them raised. I mean, that's not the way it is. Really, parents are supposed to be instructors. We're supposed to be trainers. We're supposed to be, hey, we've learned some things about life. Let's turn around and let's help prepare you to face that life as well. But all of us know it doesn't go exactly like that, does it? Many of us didn't have strong families. Many of us didn't have parents who, were, who felt prepared or equipped to give us that instruction for life. And because of that, for whatever reason, because we didn't get that preparation, many of us, I, mean, I can't even say many, all of us, I think, have made mistakes, haven't we? Big mistakes. When we did a survey a little while back and we asked, what are, what are some of the biggest struggles that you face, but you, you have a tough time sharing with other people. Many of us said, in our church family, many people said, I have messed up, and I have messed up bad. And it still, to this day, haunts me. I'm ashamed of what I've done. Listen to some of the comments that some people made. One person said, am I being punished for the path that I walked on for so long? Another person said, I struggle with my past and the nightmares it causes me and how people look at me because they know the sins I've committed. Another said, I struggle with my past and the pain that I've brought upon myself. Someone said, is there a point that you've done so much wrong that God will not forgive you? What is grace all about? God, how do you have so much love for us sinners? Why do you believe that we are worth saving? Can't you hear the guilt in that? Can't you hear the shame, the pain that so many... And friends, this is not some survey that I found online or or some talk on the street in New York City. Those statements came from you, from people that are sitting in this very room, the struggles that we face in our lives. That's really who we are. I have done things and I'm ashamed of that. And I struggle with the guilt and the shame that comes from that. 
So today in our series called The Real Me, I want us to talk about that struggle that many of us say that we have, that if we were just being honest, we would have to say, I am ashamed of what I've done. And I want us to just kind of focus today on a passage of scripture in the the book of John, John chapter 8, verses 2 through 11. Maybe some of you have heard of this passage before. Maybe you've never read it before, but we're going to read it together this morning. So let's start in John 8, verse 2. It says, early in the morning, he came again into the temple and all the people were coming to him and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery and having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? They were saying this, testing him, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones, and he was left alone, and the woman where she was in the center of the court with him. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus says, I do not condemn you either. Go from now on. Sin no more. Now, first of all, I want to look at what's going on in John chapter 8, verses 2 through 11. Jesus is in the temple. He's there early in the morning. A lot of people are coming to hear him teach. And the Bible says, starting in verse 3, that some of the so-called religious leaders, it says the scribes, they were supposed to be the experts in the law. The scribes and the Pharisees, they were a religious sect there of of Judaism. They brought in this lady who apparently had been caught in the act of adultery. And it's almost, you can almost uh, see the picture of, it's almost like us sitting here right now and some of the leadership in our church opening the door and dragging a lady all the way down front and throwing her right down front here in the middle of everybody. Isn't that exactly what it's describing? Jesus was teaching the people early in the morning and some of the religious leaders brought in the lady and threw them right in the middle of everybody and began to make accusations against her. By the way, in fairness, it seems that the accusations were true. Okay, These were not necessarily false accusations. But we find out from the scripture here, they weren't necessarily wanting truth. They weren't necessarily wanting to do what's right or what's best or to honor God. Their whole purpose was to find out what Jesus thought about it. And their whole purpose, they were just using her and using the situation in her life, the mistake that she had made. They were using that so they could make a point with Jesus. And they were hoping to catch Jesus saying something that they could get everybody mad at him about. In fact, many people believe that they're probably... The scribes and Pharisees may have even set her up. Even though she truly did commit that sin, they may have orchestrated some of those events so it could be very easy to happen. Now, how does Jesus react to that? Well, at first, he kind of looks disinterested with them, doesn't he? I mean, it's kind of hard to read. He just, okay, they come in. You know, what if that happened? And what if they say, okay, pastor, what are we going to do about this? And what if I just sat down and started drawing on the ground? I mean, wouldn't that seem kind of strange? But that seems to be what Jesus did. He, 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 he knelt over, he, he stooped down, he started drawing the ground, and, and it seems like the scribes and Pharisees, and they're like, hey, wh- what are you going to do about this? Are you, are you not going to say anything? They kept pushing him, kind of goading him. It says Jesus stood up and he answered those words. He said, listen, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. 
Then he stooped down, he began writing again, and apparently the Bible says, starting from the oldest of the, of the religious leaders to the youngest, they just all start to kind of break up and go their separate ways, one by one. And then it's just Jesus and this lady. Now, one thing I wonder about is, why did, what, what was it that caused the scribes and Pharisees? What was it that caused them to sort of break up? Was, was it something Jesus had written there on the floor? People have speculated about that. It's kind of, it's kind of interesting. We don't know, do we? I don't see anything there, do you? We don't know. Some people have said that maybe he wrote like what's in Daniel 5.27. Remember that passage, Daniel 5, some of you have read it, where it says the handwriting on the wall, okay? And basically part of that handwriting on the wall, judgment to some people who weren't following God, that judgment is you've been weighed in the balances and you've been found wanting. Basically, God knows you and you ain't measuring up. That's kind of interesting to think about. Some in church tradition have said, Maybe it was Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 13. In that verse, it, it talks about, it says, all those who forsake you on earth will be written down. And that'd be kind of interesting if you wrote that down, okay? Then they would kind of get the impression. Other people say maybe it was uh, some scripture that talked about hypocrisy, about being fakers. I kind of like this one. Other people say maybe he wrote some things specifically related to sins in their lives. Listen to what somebody speculated about this. One Bible teacher said, perhaps he wrote the name of a woman living in Rome. One of these old pious Pharisees had had an affair with her in Rome when he was younger. His wife didn't know about it. Nobody in Jerusalem knew about it. But our Lord knew that old rascal. As Jesus wrote the name of the woman, the old Pharisee came over and saw it and suddenly remembered that he had another engagement. And one by one, God began to speak to each one of them. I don't know. I mean, it's kind of interesting to think about when you get to heaven. Maybe you'll ask Jesus, what'd you write on the dirt in the temple floor? Well, I'm just kind of curious about it. It's not a big deal. But maybe there was something he was saying to them. Maybe it was his words. It seems in this passage to indicate that when he said those words, he who is without sin, let him be the first one to cast a stone. Now, Now, listen, you need to pay attention to this because this is kind of revealing about this passage. For someone to truly be a part of accusing her of this uh, sin that she committed, that person could not be a person who had also committed the same sin. Are you catching on? What Jesus was saying to them is, I know good and well that all you good old boys, you're just as promiscuous as she is. You've done the exact same thing she has, And he just implied that by saying, okay, you know the law, right? Because they're the experts. Let him who is without sin, if you've never committed this sin, you be the first one to throw the stone. And then all of a sudden, what do they do? Oh, I think I have an appointment or something that I need to get. We'll just kind of talk about this later. And then we see it kind of ended with everybody leaving and Jesus and the lady left there. And Jesus saying to her, he says, listen, where are they at? Is no one condemning you? And she said, no one, Lord. You kind of feel like something's happening here? No one, Lord? Kind of interesting, she said. Then he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, as we look at that passage and we think about some of the context of what's going on there, I want to think about some of the struggles that we face with the shame of our past. Because certainly this lady had some shame to deal with, didn't you? I think one of the big questions that all of us have when we're thinking about, and maybe you haven't exactly verbalized this, but I think many of us just wonder, 
Okay, I've made some mistakes. I've done some things that are very wrong. I just, I'm wondering, how does God feel about that? How does God see what I have done in sinning against him? Well, I want to bring out several things I think we can find in this passage. First of all, it doesn't appear that God is of the character, of the nature, that he's ready to just kind of jump on that and pounce on you. If you look at these verses, Jesus seems to be calm, doesn't he? I mean, in fact, maybe that's why he just kind of stooped down. Uh, I don't think he was disinterested. I think he was just showing that, that uh, he wasn't going to let these guys just come in and influence him. He wasn't going to go with this crowd mentality, you know, with, hey, this is going to be a lot of fun putting somebody else on the spot. Jesus was very patient. He was very measured. He was serious, but he was not quick-tempered. He was not ready to stomp on someone. The reason I say that is because many of us, in our hearts, we struggle with, because some of us have even been in churches, church experiences where we've been taught God is up in heaven, and he's kind of like one of those guys, you know, with the, with the revolvers out west. He's just waiting for you to make the wrong move. And as soon as you do, he's going to bust you. <laughs> you know, we laugh about that, but isn't that the way many people feel? We've been taught about God. We are sinners, and boy, you are in big-time trouble because of that. Now, friends, we're going to see in just a minute, God does deal with our sin. But I want us to understand as we look at this, what is the gospel? The word gospel means good news. It is a good message. God's primary focus is not to poke our sins in our face. God's primary focus is not to point out to us how bad, how wrong we are. He's going to deal with truth now. He's going to talk about the sin in our life. But his primary focus is to deal patiently and gently with us, not to like many people are and not like many of us think God is, not to just kind of pounce on us. Friends, this is something that you need to understand in God's word. James chapter 4, verse 6 and 1 Peter 5, 5 both say this. It says, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I have used those verses so many times over the last four or five years of my life in so many ways, in the way that I, that I respond to God and how I sense him dealing with me and in the way that I actually have learned to deal with other people. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The only people God seems to be harsh with in his word are know-it-all fakers. Amen? I mean, it seems that religious pretenders, people who pretend that they've got it all together, even that they're so good, they don't even need God. And that's not overstating the point because when he was standing in their midst, they did not recognize him. They did not bow their knee to him. The only person God can't help, and this ought to be good news to a broken heart today, unless you are stiffening up your neck, shaking your fist at God, saying, God, I don't need you. I don't want you. You can just go take this message to somebody else. If that's not you today, if you're saying, God, are you sure you could work in a person like me? Are you sure you could forgive somebody like me? God, if you will, okay. It's hard for me to believe, but I humble myself before you. Wow. God gives grace to people like me. Amen. To people that are just broken and don't know what to do. The only person God can't help are those who won't receive it or don't think they need it. And along with that, 
is clear in this passage. How does Jesus view us in our past sins? He is very loving towards us. He was concerned about this lady. He was concerned about the truth, dealing with the truth. We're going to talk about that next. But of all the people who could have condemned her, who could have? He could have, because guess what? He was the one who wrote the law. It was his law that she had broken, and it appears that she had. He was the one that was actually, very shortly after this, going to die for this very sin. If anybody could have brought an accusation against this lady, this is the one that could have. But he says, I will not do that. I'm not going to condemn you. Friends, again, for some of us, this is revolutionary thinking about God. We've been taught to believe, led to believe that God leans towards judgment. God leans towards pouncing on us. God leans, on, leans towards pointing out our faults and our weaknesses, that he's looking for ways to punish us. It makes him sound so fickle, so capricious, so unloving, doesn't it? His main point is not to punish us. The Bible makes it very clear. He loves us. He loves us so much. Friend, he created you. He has a purpose for your life. He's not looking to point out how bad you are. He's looking to help you to find the help and the healing you need so you can become all that he created you to be. Isn't that awesome? That's his focus. I love you. I'm not looking to push you out. I'm looking every way I can, if you'll just trust me, to bring you in, if you will trust me. Now, there's a little bit of problem with what I just shared. Some have, have misinterpreted that loving focus that Jesus has as, as basically saying, oh, okay, so sin is not that big of a deal to Jesus. So what you're saying is, this lady comes, and it's clear, she's, she's committed a sin, but Jesus just kind of says, you know, there's this viewpoint out there that interprets this passage that Jesus just kind of, oh, you know, uh, it's not a big deal, we'll just, we'll just call it even. You know, it's, let's, just, let's just don't worry about it, we'll just overlook that. There are people who believe that, that, that the way that we should understand God is that he just says we should just be loving and compassionate and never deal with sin, but that's not true. The third thing, how does God deal with your sin? He is very loving, friend, okay? Please let that sink in. If you're feeling that guilt and that condemnation from the enemy and from your own heart, know that God is not pouring that on you. But he is going to be truthful. He's not going to hide the reality. When he said, I will not condemn you, he wasn't saying, so it's not a big deal. Now we get the impression she was guilty. He said what? Go and do what? Sin no more. That kind of implies what? She had sinned. Go and sin no more. And even that, don't you hear the graciousness of our Lord? He kind of in an indirect, kind of in a soft way, he confronts the reality of her sin, but he does it in a very gracious, loving way. He's not trying to, to, to jump on her about this, but he is trying to share with her, listen, you have done wrong. It, it, what you did is wrong. But as the only one who can truly forgive you, I will do that. Yes, I will, but you have still done wrong. Now leave from this place. Don't miss this. Leave from this place a changed woman. Isn't that what Jesus would say? You come to me as a sinner. I challenge you. I say to you, I love you. I'm not going to condemn you. But I'm challenging you. The reality is this needs to change in your life. Go from this place and sin no more. 
You know, most of us lean one way or another. Most of us lean towards it. You'll find this all throughout the Bible. I noticed this a few years ago. There's this emphasis in the Bible in lo- on love and truth, on grace and truth, on kindness and truth, on spirit and truth. Have you ever noticed that? All throughout the Bible, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And you'll find many times that people either lean one way or the other. We're either kind of focusing on love or we're focusing on truth. Even churches do that. There are churches that just focus on all on just, oh, I just love you. Oh, I just love you. Don't you love? We love everybody. That's great. But what does that look like? How do I live that, right? What does that mean? Is there anything right and wrong? Then there's churches that focus on truth. We stand upon the word of God. And we're mad about it. There are. There are churches that, that give the impression that this is the word of the Lord. And it's kind of with that fist, isn't it? Hey, you know what? The Bible seems to indicate that, that going all the way this way or all the way that way on their own is wrong. It is not 50% one, 50 the other. It is 100% love and 100% truth. John chapter 1, verse 14 says, We beheld the only begotten of the Father, full of what? Full of grace and full of truth. If we have all love without any truth, then we have license to sin, don't we? Let's just love. Let's just accept. What does that mean? It's too light and fluffy. I can't catch it. Can you? It's just in the clouds. What does that mean? I need some truth. I need some reality, don't you? There are some things that are going to hurt us. Isn't that true? There are some things that are good. There are some things that are bad. There's reality. There's truth that God has given. So all love without any truth is going to lead us just to license, which ultimately is going to be hurt. All truth without love is going to lead to brutality, to harshness. That's just the way it is. (laughs) You know, it's just, it's mean. It's harsh. Both are wrong. We need 100% love and 100% truth. And that's what Jesus is. That's who he is. That's what the Bible says. Then finally, how does God see? Friend, we're just thinking, okay? How is God approaching this thing that I've done? Well, first of all, he's not jumping on you. He's coming to you in love saying, I care about you. But he is going to be truthful with you. And he's going to say, okay, there are some things that you need to deal with. There's some reality in your life that you need to think about. And so finally, I believe he's going to give us a decision to make. Didn't he give this lady a decision? He says, go. Leave from this place a changed person. Now, when it says go and sin no more, it doesn't mean go and start being perfect the rest of your life. Okay? I mean, you could see it that way. Go and sin no more. Go. Don't ever do anything wrong again. No, we know that's not what God was saying because 1 John says if we think that we're not a sinner, we're lying to ourselves, right? That's not true. Well, he knows that we're going to continue to have struggles, but what he was saying is make a choice. And we could call it, the Bible calls it repentance. Make a choice from this point forward, I want to be a different person. And make another choice. I don't like that life anymore. That's repentance. I don't like that life anymore. And as I move forward, God, I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to put my faith and my trust in you and your plan for my life. Now, we'll talk about that more in just a minute, but I kind of think that's where this lady was moving. Just that, just her saying, no one, Lord. I think just the, the, the tenderness with the way that he dealt with her, and I think what the impression that you get from this passage is that this lady was definitely responding to how God was approaching her with her sin. And that's kind of what I want to talk about next. 
God does call us to a decision. Are we going to change? Are we going to trust him? So let's talk about that. What should we do with our past sins? It's hard, isn't it? It's hard to process. I've done some things. I'm glad you don't know everything about my life. Amen? Anybody? I'm glad you don't. I hope you never do. But I know. And God knows. What am I supposed to do? Well, let's think about those two things we said. As Jesus, uh, what are the two things that Jesus was moving her towards? Well, we talked about repentance, turning from your sin. How should I view these decisions that I've made? Repentance, turning from my sin means I move on with my life from this point forward, no longer desiring to live like that anymore. Are you listening, friend? Okay, repentance, it's a biblical word. It means a change of mind. Okay, it means as you sit here right now, I'm trying to teach you what God's word, how should I approach this? How should I view? What is the truth? What does God say is the way for me to deal with this? As you sit here right now and you have a past, that could be an hour ago. That could be 12 years ago. Okay? There are things in my rearview mirror. How should I view those things? First of all, I want to ask you a question. As you're sitting here right now, are you saying, I don't like that? I don't want that. I don't want to be that person anymore. Amen? I, I, I want to change the way that I'm living my life. And this is not a bad phrase to remember. As I said, we're talking about prior to right now. You know, things prior to right now, there may be some things that I can change in terms of the impact. But for the most part, if you've made a decision, it's made, isn't it? It is what it is. You've got to deal with it. Here's what I believe God would say to us in his word. From this point forward. Are you willing from this point forward to be a changed person? Maybe you ought to write that, uh, write that phrase down in your Bible. From this point forward. And just remember, as God deals with your heart, listen, the enemy will poke that past in your face over and over again. But God says to you, right now is the time. Let me give you some verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. It says, behold, take a look at this. Pay attention is what it's saying. Now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. If you want to be delivered from your sins, there is no reason whatsoever. We're sitting here right now, aren't we? God is giving you his offer. Right now, you can say to him, God, I no longer want to live like that. You say, but I wish I'd done that yesterday or last year. Okay, we could, we're going to have to deal with that, aren't we? We're going, to have to, we're going to have to grow through the impact of those decisions. But you can make a decision right now. I no longer want to live like that. Listen to another passage. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. It says, one, he says, Brethren, I don't regard myself as having reached that point, basically, of what God has in store for me. But one thing I do is I move forward with God, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Do you hear that, friends? The Bible says that we should say to God, God, I've got to look at my past and I've got to say, you know what? It is what it is. I've got to give that to God. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. We're going to, I've got to give that to God, but I've got to decide from this point forward I want to be a changed person. So I want to ask you, does that describe you? Are you truly sorry for what you've done? And not sorry because you were... You were caught. Or not sorry because of the consequences. Are you truly broken over that decision that you've made? Let me share some uh, passage that 
that kind of describes what that would look like. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, or actually chapter 7 and verse 9. The Apostle Paul describes true repentance. He says, I now rejoice that not that you were made sorrowful or sorry, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret leading to salvation. Now, what this is telling us is, is that when I get to the point when, when I decide I don't like that anymore, I don't want to live like that anymore, I don't want to ever make that choice again, that is my heart, that is beginning to go on a path that is going to be your deliverance. Isn't that great? But the sorrow of the world produces death, just guilt and shame, and I'm sorry. And it, For behold, what earnestness, this very thing, this godly sorrow has produced in you. This is what repentance looks like. How do you know when someone is truly repentant? How do you know when you're repentant? It says, for here's what that produced. What vindication of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what avenging of wrong. In everything you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in the matter. What I'm saying is I want to do everything I can to show I am not that person anymore. Amen? I am changed. Now, let's be careful. Some people think that this repentance is a requirement for God's acceptance. That's not what the Bible teaches. What I believe is, is that repentance is a response to God's acceptance. It's evidence that I've been accepted by God. Do you understand the difference? It's not a requirement. Some people think, oh, I got to get good. Then God will say, okay, now things are clear. Okay, or I've got to do penance. Or I've got to make it up somehow. I've got, to, I've got to do a bunch of stuff, say a bunch of prayers or pay a bunch of money or do a bunch of nice deeds and maybe, just maybe. See, that's the problem. We're going to talk about that here in just a minute. Religion's always maybe, just maybe. God wants to give you assurance. I know I'm forgiven because of Jesus and what he's done for me. My repentance is not a requirement for his favor. It's evidence that I'm responding to his favor. Okay, and that's the second thing. Not only do I turn from my sin, but I trust in Him. It's called faith. I begin to understand that, yes, my sins are real. I'm not trying to smooth them over, but I know that the one that I've offended is offering to me forgiveness. It's amazing, isn't it? Are you serious? I can, it's hard for me to accept, isn't it you? I have done so much wrong... How could God say, I'm going to forgive you for that? Well, well, don't take that to mean he's just saying, oh, it's no big deal. No, it was such a big deal, he had to give his life for it. It was a huge deal. The wages of sin is death for somebody. But praise his name, though it was supposed to be death for me, he took it upon himself so that I don't have to die. Amen? That's the message of the gospel. So, so how do I need to view my sin? I need to say, God, I don't want to be identified as that person where I don't, that sin is not who I am. God, I'm turning away from that. And as I turn, I don't turn to nothing else. I turn to trusting in him. Okay? Not my way, but his way. Now, friends, if you do those two things, you should have a third thing that many of us don't have. And I want to encourage you. You should have great assurance. Listen to what God has done for you in relation to your sins and how confident you can be. Listen to this. Colossians 2.13, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, that's kind of a Jewish way of saying you were really far away from God. Okay? He made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all 
Underline that word. How many of your transgressions? All of your transgressions. Some people say there are certain sins. Okay. All right. If you do certain things or if you make it up or if you're really nice, but there are certain sins. Sorry. Problem is I've done some of those certain sins. So is it just sorry for me? What does the Bible say? Not religion. What does the Bible say? God forgives us of all our transgressions. Friends, does that not release you? Are you kidding me? Even what I did? Yes. Praise his name. Amen. As he said, having canceled out the certificate of decrees consisting against us, somebody marches you in the room, throws you down front and says, you're guilty. And everybody says, yep, there's the guilt certificate. There's the, there's the payment that's supposed to be made. And God says, let me see that. And he writes an X across it and he writes, paid in full. He cancels out the, the, the decrees against us which were hostile to us and he has taken them out of the way. Is this not visual? Hey, let me see that receipt. Having nailed it to the cross. Wow. I mean, that's powerful, isn't it? Jesus says, here, let me take care of that for you. I'm going to nail it to the cross. And then we, as we hear those nails, we hear his hands and his feet being nailed, don't we? The price that was paid. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display over them. Now, this is describing how in ancient times, how they would just have a parade and they would just like publicly mock and ridicule their defeated enemies. Okay, well, Jesus does that to the devil and his angels. He says, you aren't even close. You're bringing an accusation against my person. He's totally disarming them. They are defenseless. They have nothing to offer. He makes a public display of them having triumphed over them through him, through Christ. I mean, you can't get any stronger, can you? I don't have time to look at it right now with you, but write down Romans 8, verses 31 through 39. In that passage, it says, who can bring a charge against God's elect? If you have been forgiven by the power of Jesus Christ, it is Christ who died for you. It is him who's at the right hand of God. It is him who's constantly making the case for you before the Father. He always lives to intercede for you. Isn't that awesome? God has your back. Sometimes it's difficult for us to believe because other people talk about us or because even we struggle or their own view of ourselves. You've heard me say before, sometimes Shannon, you know, she, you know, I share things with her, she shares things with me. But sometimes she'll share, share about some of her struggles or something, how she feels like she's inadequate for this or that. And sometimes I'll just say, would you please stop talking about my wife? I think sometimes God would say that to us. We're talking about how bad we are, and he says, would you please quit talking about my child? Do you know how much I love you? Do you know how much I've forgiven you? We should have great assurance, shouldn't we? Let me answer a few final questions. If I'm forgiven, why do those sins still haunt me? Well, it may be that you have not accepted by faith what God has done for you. If you've never experienced the powerful, life-changing power of Jesus Christ, those things are still going to, have, going to be showing up in your life. You haven't truly trusted Christ yet. Or it may be that you have trusted Christ, but you're not allowing Him to, to apply those truths in your life. Maybe you didn't even know about it. Maybe today God has spoken to you about some things, and I pray that you would just claim his promises. He's sharing with you. These are your promises. Claim them today. You know, sometimes I think we struggle because we're kind of still close to that thing, aren't we? Here's what I mean by it. Even though I've turned from my sin, it's still not too far behind in my rearview mirror, is it? 
I see this so many times, especially with new believers. When you're first getting started with your walk with the Lord, it still feels like that thing defines you because it's so close to you, isn't it? I just want to encourage you, as you continue to grow and walk with the Lord, you're going to put more and more distance between you and that way of living. Amen? And that will help you. But right now, you're just going to have to trust by faith. That's not who I am. Now, as you grow, as you get away from you're going to more and more, that's going to be back, isn't it? That's not who I am. I mean, that was years ago. That'll be great. But now you've got to trust by faith that it is already behind you. You also don't need to forget you have an enemy. He's called the accuser of the brethren. And he's looking to bring a case against you. And he's constantly doing that because he knows it's not true. But he knows if he can keep you bound up. Hebrews chapter 12 says we need to move on. We need to move on with God. But some of us have some unnecessary weight. Some of that unnecessary weight might be forgiven sin that you're still trying to carry, right? It is unnecessary weight. God's already said, I've taken that off of you. Why don't you just lay that aside and press on with Jesus? That's what Hebrews 12 talks about. What about this question? What if I mess up again? Isn't that a concern we have? I've done wrong before. Well, let me just tell you this. You will. You will. The Bible says you're going to fail again. You're going to mess up again. Now, let's don't take that lightly. If I truly repented of this sin, my intention is I don't ever want to get back to that, right? But if I do, the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That doesn't mean you're saved again. Once you trust Christ, you're his child. But sometimes there can be things in the way that are clogging the flow of fellowship between you and him. You're not as close to him as you ought to be because there's some sin in your life. So as I'm walking through life, that thing comes back. What's the enemy want to say? Oh, you know, you haven't changed. You're that same person. You're still. I say, no, I'm not. I blew it. I'm sorry, Lord. But I, I have turned from that sin. I'm putting my trust in you and I'm asking you to cleanse me from this sin and help me to continue moving forward. Amen? Do not let the enemy have that victory. How many of us here, and you don't have to raise your hand, but today are struggling with our past? I want to ask yourself to think, I want to ask you to, to ask yourself these questions. First of all, do you know that you are in Christ? Do you know without a doubt that Jesus Christ has come into your life and forgiven you for your sins? Secondly, are you trusting in what he says about you? If I am in Christ, then I'm forgiven of all my sins. Thirdly, have, are you putting distance between that old life and the new life? Some of us have been forgiven by the power of Jesus Christ, but we may not have totally turned away from some of those things in our lives. And God would challenge us with that. It's possible for us to still struggle with sin, but we've got to ask ourselves, if I'm a follower of Jesus, if I'm trusting in Him, I need to put some distance between the old me and the new me. And when we mess up, are you keeping short accounts? You know what I mean by that? Short accounts means I, I used to be able to sin and go for a long time and not be bothered by it. But now, when I blow it, do you find this more and more true? automatically know when i smart off at somebody you know at a cashier or something i know i gotta go say i'm sorry i mean before i even get out of my truck i gotta go back and ask him to forgive me for my bad attitude amen 
I don't want to get in my truck. I don't want to drive to the house. I don't want to go about my day because I know I'll be done with it. I'll move past it. And that is still lingering in my life. I don't need that weight. Amen. Keep short accounts with God. Okay. I struggle with this sin. As soon as it happens, deal with it. Deal with it with God. Ask him to cleanse you. First John 1, 9. Make it right with that person. And then, just like we've been talking about, turn from it and what? Trust in him and move forward. Amen. Friends, today, God knows that like this lady, it's really true, isn't it? She, she did wrong. But God was very gracious to help her to move forward in victory. And he wants to do that for you today as well. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you know my heart. And you know each person in this room. And you know how we've turned our back on you, Lord. Whether it's one time or a thousand And most of us lean a lot closer to a thousand. But I thank you, Lord, that even though we feel that shame, that guilt, that you want to bring your truth into our lives and you want to forgive us today if we'll just trust you. I pray that somebody today would put their trust in you. ask you to come into their life and be their savior. I pray that somebody who's made that decision would, Lord, just quit dabbling in sin in their life, that they would truly repent and turn and move forward with you in the life that you've given them. And Lord, today, I pray that as we do that, we would trust that we can have great assurance that we've been fully forgiven and that you have plans ahead for us. Help us this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As Jeff plays quietly, in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand together with me. And we're going to sing this final song. We have a song at the end of our service to give you an opportunity. You've been listening to God, but before you leave this place, remember what I said? I want to get closer to when God speaks to me about that sin, I admit it, I turn from it, and I trust in Him. You know what? Today's your opportunity. If you know right now God is dealing with you about accepting Him as your Savior or about some sin in your life that you need to deal with right now, today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time, the Bible says. Because if you don't deal with it right now, it may be six months, a year, five years from now, and you're still going to be carrying unnecessary baggage. Why don't you trust him right now?